If you have a Bible, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 9? And if you don't have a Bible, there should be a red one uh, nearby. And if you are going to use the red Bible, it is on page 535. Just this past week, I was grabbing drinks with a friend, and we were lamenting this last year. We were lamenting how with the pandemic and the restrictions placed upon us, uh, that we were lonely. That both of us, being extroverts, realized that the thing that brought us the most joy, which was being around other people, was taken from us. And it was hard. Maybe it was hard for you this year to, to have those natural relationships and community events taken away from you. It was hard for me. Maybe it was hard for you. And it got me thinking about what does it mean to be lonely or what does it mean to have friends or be with friends. And ironically, I also, independent of that conversation, listened to a podcast this week uh, on the Art of Manliness podcast show. And it was about, uh, it was about friendships and loneliness. And they invited this Boston Globe uh, writer uh, named Billy Baker onto the show to talk about a new book that he just wrote. The book is called We Need to Hang Out, a Memoir of Making Friends. Billy Baker is a Boston Globe uh, writer, and back in 2017, he was commissioned to write this piece on the state of loneliness in America, and that it's increasingly becoming this epidemic, that especially men, but both men and women, are facing this loneliness epidemic. And in fact, this article, published in 2017 online, it is the most accessed article on the Boston Globe website, in, in, in its website's history. People share it because people resonate with it again and again. We are facing a loneliness epidemic. So maybe for you, this year has been difficult for you, or maybe just in general, you look around and you say, well, I've got some friends, but... Are they really that close? Are, is this the community that I find fulfillment in? My question to you is, are you lonely? In, in the article that this man wrote, he spoke with some psychologists, and uh, they wrote this, this husband and wife psychologist pair. They wrote this, Since my wife and I have written about loneliness and social, social isolation, we see a fair number of people for whom this is a big problem. Often they don't come saying that they're lonely. Most people have the experience that you had in your editor's office, and he's writing to Billy at this point. And admitting that you're lonely, it feels very much like admitting that you're a loser. Psychiatry has worked hard to destigmatize things like depression. And to a large part, that has been successful. People are comfortable saying that they're depressed, but they're not comfortable saying that they're lonely. It's like you're the kid sitting alone in the cafeteria. Are you lonely? I know sometimes I feel lonely. This morning, we're going to read this passage from Acts 9 about four instances of people moving towards others who are lonely, becoming friends with those who are without friends creating community for people who do not have community. And as we read this passage 
Friends, it is okay to admit that we are lonely because the good news is that the gospel is for the friendless. It is for people who feel lonely. And so as we read, if you want to follow along with notes, here's where we're going. We're going to see that this Christian friendship, we're going to see the beauty of it, the power of it, and the cause of it. Where did it come from? The beauty of Christian friendship, the power of Christian friendship, and the cause of Christian friendship. Well, let's read Acts chapter 9, starting in verses 26 through 43. This is talking about Saul after he was converted. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road that he had seen the Lord who had spoken to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came also down to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a name, man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was, not, was near Jop, Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, he took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, rise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Heavenly Father, we pray now through your spirit that you would make your word real to us and true to us, and that through your spirit we would become obedient to what you have to tell us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First, let's look at the beauty of Christian fellowship. 
The beauty of Christian fellowship is this. It provides a community for those without a community. It provides a community for those without a community to belong to. Each one of these stories explains how one person or a group of people did not have a community, but Christian friendship creates community for them. Let's walk through these. First, there was Saul, who was a Jew who persecuted the church. He hated Christians and wanted them to die. But then he met Jesus and became a follower of his, began to proclaim his name to his Jewish brothers, saying, repent of your sins and trust in Jesus as the Messiah, and you will be saved. And as he went back to Jerusalem, here's what happened. The disciples in Jerusalem feared him. They knew his past. They knew what he was capable of doing. They were terrified. Is he really a Christian now? I mean, this guy wanted to kill us. We don't want to have anything to do with him. And the Hellenists, the, the, the Greek Jews in the city, his own brothers that he grew up with, they wanted to kill him. I mean, Paul, Saul had turned his back against his fellow Jews, and now they hated him. Saul was alone. His Jewish kindred hated him, and now even the disciples feared him. They feared what he might do to them if he became part of them. And so he was alone. That is until Barnabas shows up. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, one of the heroes of the book of Acts, steps up and advocates for Saul and says, brothers, don't you realize that our brother has trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. His past does not define him anymore. Welcome him in because Jesus has welcomed him. And then there's Peter who goes down to Aeneas. And Aeneas is He's paralyzed. He's, he's bedridden. He's been alone for eight years. He, he can't provide for himself at all. He can't feed himself. He can't move himself. He can't clothe himself. He can't wash himself. He can't go to the bathroom himself. He has no job. He has no way to make money. He has no way to provide for himself. This man is utterly dependent upon other people. He cannot participate in the community around him until Peter comes down and moves toward him and heals him and restores him and says, come into the community now. Be part of the community. And then we hear about Tabitha. Dorcas. I don't know why we know her as Dorcas. Her name's Tabitha. Let's just call her Tabitha today. Tabitha, Luke tells us, was this woman of great charity and love. And we know from the story that she devoted her time to the widows in the city. I mean, she spent her life pouring out to widows. And, and widows, mind you, these are people who have no family. 
They have no means to provide for themselves anymore. They are relationally and socially in need. They take and take and take, but do not have anything to give. And yet Tabitha poured out her life. She became family for them. So much so that when Tabitha dies, it is the widows who are weeping and lamenting because their family now is gone. And so they call out to Peter and say, Peter, can you come and revive her? She's all that we have. The beauty of Christian friendship is that it creates a community for people who do not have community to belong to. For those who are maybe physically intimidating to you or to others and find themselves at home nowhere. For those who are physically unable to fully participate in the rest of the world, whether by age or other reasons, Christian friendship welcomes them into community. For those who are without family, whether a spouse is now gone or they are single and in longing for family, Christian friendship welcomes them in. It is beautiful. And it's beautiful for this reason. We were made for community. We were designed to be in relationship with other people. And so when we are cut off from that, that is why it is sad. That is why it is hurtful. That is why we feel lonely. It's because we were designed to be in community. Genesis 1 and 2, back at the creation story, when God was making everything in the world, he looked every single day at what he created, and he said, this is good. That was until he made Adam. And after he put Adam in the garden, God looked at his creation and said, it is not good that this man is alone. Look, before sin entered the story, before brokenness rushed in and destroyed and marred creation, before that, it was not good that man should be alone. And so God makes Eve and, and brings her to Adam. And there's so much we could talk about with implications having to do with marriage. But even before that, we have to see that essential to what it means to be human is that we were designed to be with other people. And so when we are not with other people, we are falling short of what it means to be truly human. And I'm not putting, putting the blame on anyone for that. I'm just saying, that's why it hurts. We were designed for friendship. And when we don't have it, it hurts. The beauty of Christian friendship is that it creates community where there is none. I asked earlier, are you lonely? But I think maybe... Now we can refine that question a bit and say, are you part of a community, the community, 
that God designed you to be part of. Or maybe let's turn it around. Have you invited those without community to be part of the community that they were designed to be part of? We all know people who are physically intimidating, that, that terrify us, who, whose, whose past we're scared of. Man, what would, what would they do if they joined us? What, how would it change us? That's scary to think about. We, we all know people who depend on us. I've got neighbors. I live in a part of Mayfield Heights with, with a lot of older neighbors, and they depend on other people. And when I look at them and I hear God's command to love my neighbor, you know, I'm, I'm worried what is it going to cost me to love other people who depend on me? Or maybe you know someone who doesn't have the family that they've longed for for one reason or another. Have you invited them to find the community that they were designed to be in? Look, that's the beauty of Christian fellowship. It creates the very thing that we were made for. And now let's look at the power of Christian friendship. Let's look at when we have that community, when we have that kind of friendship, what does it do? What is the power behind it? What can it do? The power of Christian friendship is that it displays the gospel for our neighbors to see. The power of Christian friendship is that when we come together, we together display the gospel for our neighbors. And as they see it, they will believe it, and the church will grow. Just look at these instances. Luke tells us this is the result. In verse 31, after Saul is welcomed into the fellowship of the apostles, there's peace amongst the church. And Luke tells us that it is built up and multiplied. In verse 35, after Peter heals Aeneas, all the residents of Lydda and Sharon turn to the Lord. In verse 42, after Tabitha is raised back to life and she continues to be with the widows, we read that many in Joppa believed in the Lord. Friends, the power of Christian fellowship is that when non-Christians witness Christian fellowship, when they witness Christian community, it is attractive to them. It intrigues them. It pulls them in and they ask, what is this? What is so special? What is unique about this? And as they ask questions and are invited in to experience it themselves, they will begin to see and believe the gospel. Look, I don't know about you, but I've recognized in our society that uh, the cultural currents are changing. The tide is going now another way. And here's what I mean. Just a few generations ago, decades ago, really, there was this expectation on much of Western society, of, of Christendom, that, that whether you were a Christian or not, there was just this assumption that both Christians and non-Christians would behave like Christians, 
act like Christians, maybe even believe part about what Christians believed. And it's changing. You know, maybe you see it in Washington where legislation is passed and you see, man, we're, we're moving away from that, that day. Or, or maybe it, it, on the news, you, you hear stories of this or that and you begin to realize, man, things aren't the same way anymore. No longer are our neighbors aware of what we believe. Like their, their worldview are, is changing. When we talk to them, when we love them, when we introduce them to Jesus, look, we can no longer assume that they understand what we're talking about at all. I mean, so many people no longer, so many of our neighbors, even in the east side of Cleveland, no longer believe in a personal God that you can know, let alone anything about the Bible or about faith in Jesus or what does it mean to believe and, and walk as a disciple of Jesus. These things just do not land on them anymore. We got to wake up and realize that like the old way of sharing the gospel, it, it doesn't work. People don't know the stories of the Bible. They don't know who Jesus is. They don't know what it means to confess sin. No one even believes in sin anymore. The world is changing. But look, that, that crisis that we're in, that missional crisis, that, that our, our former evangelism style won't work, it's okay. Because in the early church, they were facing something pretty similar. Look, when they would share the gospel to Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles didn't have categories for what they were saying either. The Gentiles for sure. But even Jews, they didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. And when they were thinking Messiah, they were thinking king, not suffering servant. And so we need to learn from this early church, what does it look like to share the gospel? Yes, individuals did go around proclaiming the gospel. But what we see in this chapter is that it's when the Christians come together in friendship, when Christian friendship is on display, it is through that that the world sees the gospel. You know, we together, as the body of Christ, we are the church's best tool to share the gospel. Look, you can read up on apologetics, and you can read up on how to share the gospel, and that will be helpful but only when we come together as friends, as a community, only then will our neighbors begin to see what we're really about. Because when we come together as sinners saved by Jesus, when we come together and express a community of grace and forgiveness, when we come together and say everyone is welcome at the foot of the cross, Look, no other community is offering that to our neighbors. No other community is offering a purpose in life that is far beyond an individual purpose. The power of Christian friendship, friends, is that when we come together, 
we can proclaim the gospel, not just with our words, but as a community. And when we invite people into that community, they can experience it too. This is why I think membership is an essential part of our mission at Story Church. Because becoming a member of the church is saying, I am committed to this group. I am committed to this community. I am committed to loving one another here. I am committed to being a friend to the friendless here. Membership is a way for each one of us to say to our neighbors, come, you're welcome. This is a community for you. Come and receive forgiveness. Come and receive grace. Come and be a part of the community that you were created to be a part of. So come to our membership class. Learn what it means to be part of that community. The power of Christian friendship is that together we get to display the gospel in a way that we could not do on our own. Finally, let's look at the cause of Christian friendship. Let's look at the, the reason why it's even possible. The, the way that it worked for them and the way that it can work for us. Where does this come from? Where, where does this kind of passion and desire come from? Let's look at the very end of the passage. After Peter comes down and he raises Tabitha up from the grave, in verse 43, Luke tells us that Peter remained in the city for many days with one Simon, a tanner. A tanner was someone who worked with animals, dead animals, every day. He would take the hides of the animals and turn it into leather. And in those days, if you interacted with dead animals, you were ceremonially unclean. And, and anyone that interacted with you would then become unclean too. And to be unclean at that time meant to be uh, rejected from fellowship. It means that you were on the outside, that you could not be part of the community. And, and most of the times being clean or unclean was something that fluctuated again and again. So maybe you were uh, unclean at one point and then a week later you were clean again. You could be welcomed back into the fellowship. But Simon, this was his job. His life, every day, all day long, he was unclean. He was never allowed to be part of the fellowship. But Peter looks at this Simon and says, I'm going to move toward you. Everyone else is moving away from you, but I'm going to move toward you. I'm going to stay with you for many days. This was probably Simon's first house guest ever completely friendless, completely without community, and yet Peter goes to him. Why? Where did Peter learn to do that? Where did Peter learn to move toward the people that everyone's moving away from? He learned it from Jesus. He learned it from Jesus, who is a friend of sinners. 
He learned it from Jesus, who always moved toward the people that others were moving away from. In fact, Jesus, when he would go to someone who was unclean, by being with them, he would make them clean. He would make them welcome. And Peter learned that from Jesus. In fact, everything that Peter does in this chapter, he learns from Jesus. I mean, what is the one thing that we all know about Jesus? He went from town to town healing people. I mean, everywhere he went, people would bring out the bedridden and lay them on the road so that, so that Jesus would walk by and heal them. And so Peter learned, hey, Aeneas, you're bedridden, but I know that in Jesus Christ, you are welcomed into the community because Jesus extends his welcome even to you. And then Tabitha, I mean, Luke almost writes this word for word from Mark chapter 5, where Jesus visits another lady who is dead, and her name is Talitha with an L. There's only one letter difference. In fact, when Jesus raises Talitha, he says, Talitha kumi. Talitha, rise. And here Peter says, Tabitha kumi. Tabitha, rise. Peter learned how to extend Christian friendship from Jesus. Jesus is the one that taught us to, yes, love God, but love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two greatest commandments. He's the one that said, love your enemies. Don't hate them. Do good to those who harm you. Jesus is the friend of sinners. We could say he is the best friend of sinners. He, he always moved toward those that other people were moving away from. So what is the cause of Christian friendship? We look to Jesus. We look to him and learn from him and learn from him what it means to love those around us. But we need to do more than just look at him and learn from him. Because if we just try to model our lives on his own life and just try to do the things that Jesus did, we will grow exhausted and tired and burdened and burnt out striving to be like Jesus. Friends, that's not how we do Christian friendship. The way that we do Christian friendship is we need to be first a friend of Jesus. We need to become his friend. It's only when we become his friend, when we experience the welcome of Jesus himself, are we able to extend the welcome of Jesus to others. Only when he welcomes us as his friend are we strengthened and equipped and empowered to go and be friends with those who are without friends. How do we do that? How do we know that we're friends with Jesus? How do we become a friend of Jesus? Well, in John 15... We read this. Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Friends, it is on the cross that Jesus demonstrated his love for his friends. 
is on the cross where he said, I am dying for you. You are my friend. It is on the cross that he laid down his life for us. And so if you want to be a friend of Jesus, look at the cross. Trust that he is up there dying for you. The only way to be friends with Jesus is to know that Jesus is the friend of sinners and to come to him in that way. I am a sinner and I need rescued. Like I am in pain and suffering and I need comforted. I am alone and I need community. I am without friends and I need a friend in you. That is what unites us together as Christian friends. It's not that we have hobbies that we share in common. It's not that we're all in the same life stage with everyone. It's not all that we grew up in the same place. No, what unites us together in Christian friendship is this common bond that we go to the cross and say, I need a friend like you. The beauty of Christian friendship is that it creates this community that we were all made for. And it invites us in. The, the power of Christian friendship is that when we come together, we display the power of the gospel to our neighbors. And the cause of it, how do we get it? Well, we come together at the foot of the cross and trust that there he laid down his life for us. May we, friends with Jesus, who is the friend of sinners, go forth to those who are without friends, to those who are without community, and invite them to find in Jesus their friend. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,